All right, so here's what's going on today. About two weeks ago, we had a power outage in Auburn, and since then, it's created chaos in our tech system. Everything will be going along fine, rehearsal and so forth, and then with no warning at all, things just shut down in waves. And it's not for a lack of diligence right now. Our tech team has been working on it the last two weeks. Let's give it up for them. We brought in outside help to outsource it, so your prayers would be appreciated as we want to turn some of these corners, move past the challenges, and diagnose what's going on. And I want to point this out as well, that I'm so grateful for our worship team and how they continue to worship. I know their hearts. There is zero interest in entertainment. There's zero interest in that. But what they are committed to do is worshiping Jesus with us and leading us in worship. And ultimately, if certain tech pieces go down, lights and sound, they're so committed, they're going to continue to worship Jesus. And and they're really, they inspire us. Because what is church all about? It's, it's not just to sit back and watch and how are they doing up there? But instead, it's for all of us together as one family to bring him praise. And you know what? If they can do it without their inner ears working and all of a sudden instruments aren't working and they can't really tell if they're on pitch and all of that and they're still going to praise Jesus, well then doesn't that inspire you to say, you know what, let's praise Jesus too in the middle of what's going on. And it's kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? I know what it's like to have a full recovery over 10 years, and there was so much taken during those 10 years of my life. And I had to take an inventory as I lost so much, and I was grieving and mourning. Well, what do I still have? And sometimes in life you kind of wonder that. Well, what do I still have? And I'll tell you what no one can take away is your desire to praise Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to get into the Word, to love your neighbor. No one can take away the most important things in life and how you live your life each day. So let's keep staying united. Let's keep trusting the Lord. Let's keep giving Him praise. And there's going to be victory. There's going, this too will pass. This too will pass. Speaking of victory, uh, next weekend, Grace Loves Auburn. It's here on Saturday, and it is one of the most amazing times during the year. There's already over 300 families from our community that are saying, I really need help, I really need resources, I need supplies, and we've been doing this for a long time, and they trust us, they trust you, and they come in, and it's relational, and they leave with a whole bunch of stuff. So here's some good news. Last week, we had about 50 people signed up to support and serve. Now we're over 100 people in our church that are saying, yes, I want to be a part of serving. And you know, the great thing is if you're someone who likes to work behind the scenes, kind of low key, we've got roles. If you're someone who likes to get after it and roll up your sleeve and lift things up, you can carry what they choose and they carry it to their car. And they just love that help. If you're more relational and you want to build some relationships, you can be a shopping partner and just walk with them and get to know them and have a great conversation. There's roles for everybody. It's easy to serve and it's just one day, one time. Coming up this Saturday. If you don't come, just lift it up in prayer this Saturday. Amen for what God's going to do. Let's be doing this together. And then today we're in the book of Revelation chapter 3, and at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea, and we're going to talk about a lukewarm lifestyle, because Jesus is talking about a lukewarm lifestyle. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. In days like today, we're reminded, God, that it's ultimately really not about tech, 
but it's about closeness with you and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today you would stir hearts in this memorable moment, God, that you would set souls on fire. You would be glorified. Pull us out of just going through the motions and being passive and being discouraged. Pull us out of that. And we'd set our eyes on you, Jesus. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Jesus is the only one who completely knows you. And he knows how to nourish your soul. He knows how to bring a timely word. He knows how to stir and fan the flame in your gifts. And he knows what you need to receive. And he's generous and he's gracious. And you can receive from him today. You can draw close to Jesus today. And Jesus in the book of Revelation is talking to seven different churches. He's talking to his people and he's giving a timely message. Each one's a little different because in different seasons we need different messages. In different conditions we need different messages from Jesus. And Jesus knows how to talk to churches and he knows how to communicate with each of us individually. So we want to listen to the voice of our good shepherd. We need his voice. And the message he has for the church in Laodicea is not one of a hug. It's not one of commending the people there. It's a challenging message because the people have drifted into a very lukewarm faith. And it's the wealthiest of the seven churches. They have a lot of money. If you lined up seven churches, who has the most money? If you lined up seven countries, which country has the most money? They are prosperous. How are they prosperous? First, there's a lot of banking. And you might notice today when you go to bigger cities and you see skyscrapers, there's usually some of the buildings are banking. And if someone can build a building that impressive and tall, you know they're making a little money. Amen? Banking was lucrative then. It's lucrative now. They also produced black wool. In this textile, this wool that people around the world wanted, and there was such a demand that the money was pouring in. They also had a medical school and iSelf. They were known for a place of healing with great medicinal practices. And for all these reasons, it looked like success. Their bank accounts were full. And when there was an earthquake in A.D. 17, and there was destruction in the city, they were the only city that said to Rome, you know what, Rome, we don't need your help to rebuild our city because we got it covered financially. No problem in Laodicea. And you could kind of pick up on their attitude. What they were missing is that their souls lost a passion for King Jesus. In the middle of their prosperity, their souls drifted, and they no longer were thinking about the kingdom. And you say, well, where's the hunger for Jesus? Where's that passion you had to glorify the Lord more than anything? This church started out Epaphras. We read in Colossians 4.12, he founded the church. They were all about Jesus. They were so in love with Jesus. They were living for Jesus. But over time, with some prosperity and then some more pride, they drifted, and they didn't even realize how lukewarm they had become. This is the church in Laodicea. Jesus wants to change the spiritual temperature of the church in Laodicea, and he so often wants to change the spiritual temperature in our lives. We have a culture that is committed to a lukewarm living, a lukewarm lifestyle. In the stats, they support this. Now, Gallup did some research, and in this poll, they've just found out that fewer people think that the Bible is actually and literally God's Word. Just 20% now believe the Bible is the literal Word of God, which is a decrease of 30% since 2011. 
Things are changing rapidly in the last decade, morally and spiritually in our country. Right now, more than a quarter, 29% of Americans think that the Bible is just merely a collection of fables and legends. There's some history and moral precepts recorded by man. And there's a rapid increase in skeptics, biblical ignorance, opposition, and even illiteracy. Just two decades ago, 60% of people said religion was important in our country. Just 44% say it's important in their lives now. 30% of Protestants believe the Bible is the Word of God. 15% of Roman Catholics think it's the literal Word of God. This marks for the very first time that more Americans have viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired and not the literal Word of God. More than ever before in our country. This is the first time in our country that less than half of Americans are committed to some worship place, some place of faith. Things are rapidly changing. Lukewarm is becoming normal. Drifting from the Bible, shifting it instead of God's Word to I'm at the center and I call the shots and it's what do I feel. God's Word, that's a little bit of good advice, but I'm the one in charge. Our country is running there and it'll lead to a lukewarm lifestyle. So what's the answer for transformation? We're going to look at three keys today. Uh, The first one, and it's what not to do, it's how to become lukewarm. How do you become lukewarm? It's important to know how you become lukewarm so you can avoid it. Now in chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, those are some strong words by Jesus, but sometimes we need some strong words to break through some of the lethargy and the apathy. First, it begins with who Jesus is, and that's the greatest starting point. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the faithful one. Start with Jesus. He brings truth. He brings faithfulness. This is the progression towards lukewarm. When you drift from Jesus, you will start to drift from truth and believe and speak lies and half-truths. And it'll lead to a life that's unfaithful. That's the progression of drifting from Jesus, drifting from truth, drifting into unfaithfulness. The people in Laodicea would say, we've got great jobs. We've got respect. We've got positions. We've got a bank account. We've got power. We've got a lot of things. We don't need Jesus that much anymore. And that was the interior condition of their heart, and they drifted. Now, it's important to understand water when you think of Laodicea. There was a lack of water in Laodicea. They had an aqueduct that was six miles long, and that's how they received the water. Now, this aqueduct, as the water traveled along, the water might start out in one condition, but as it travels, it will arrive to Laodicea, and it'll be lukewarm and bland. There will be impure minerals that enter the water as it travels, and it tastes terrible. Now, comparing Laodicea and the water there to a nearby city, Hierapolis, in Hierapolis, there were hot springs, and they were known as being medicinal, They were therapeutic. There was healing. There was hot water that brought healing in Hierapolis. 
Also nearby, Colossae, you think of the Colossians, and you know the book, the letter, Colossians, that Paul wrote, it was probably distributed in Laodicea. The Colossians were close by, they had cold water. It was refreshing, it was life-giving. You know what it's like if it hits 90 this week and you want some cold water and cold water is refreshing. And what's being said here is that you're neither hot and bring in the healing, you're neither cold and bring in the refreshment. Instead, it's impure, lukewarm, it just tastes terrible. Now, here's the interpretation where people twist this and get it wrong. When Jesus said, I want you to be hot or cold or else I'll spit you out, some people falsely interpret that to say, oh, Jesus either wants us on fire for him or it would be better if we didn't believe in him and rejected him. That's not what the verse says. It does not say it would be better if you rejected him. What the verse says is that you could be an instrument of healing, you could be an instrument of refreshment, but instead you're settling for lukewarm. You're getting duped. And does he say spit out? Yes, he does. Uh, What does that word really mean? That word really means to vomit. Uh, Have you, just imagine taking some milk that was lukewarm past its expiration date and it's in your mouth, right? What are you going to do? Be polite and drink it? Ask for a second glass? No, no, no. You're going to get rid of that stuff. Now, this is a whole theological realm that we won't get into today. My view that I think is biblically backed is that once you're born again, you can't lose your salvation. And then every time you sin, you need to be born again, again. And now you're born again, again, and again, and again. Every time you sin, no, I think there's a promise. Jesus earns salvation. He keeps salvation. Spitting out, don't just run to, that means I was born again and now I'm, I'm not born again. That, that's not the translation here. So I'm trying to avoid some pitfalls in terms of people falsely reading things into this, but don't miss the truth. When Jesus says spit out, that word means vomit. Remember Jonah when he was in rebellion and in the belly of the fish? And what did the fish do? It vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And it was a new opportunity for Jonah to go a new direction with a new obedience. Well, this vomiting, here's it broken down real simple. Lukewarm in your faith makes Jesus want to vomit. Have you ever been around someone that says, Christian, 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 and then there's this whole thing going on. And when you see that, you're just like, I feel sick. I feel sick right now. Because at the same time, it's all going down in Laodicea. And Jesus says, it's, it's like I, I want to vomit. So what's at the core of this lukewarm? The core is self-sufficiency. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to create my bubble where I'm in control. Everyone commends me, and it's comfortable how I want it. I don't want God leading me. I don't want to be stretched by God. I don't want to be spiritual mature. I don't want to grow in my faith. I don't want to trust God out on the water. I want to retreat, control everything centered around me, and get comfortable and cozy in my little bubble. And that's what we have in Laodicea. Congratulations, Laodicea. You're living out a lukewarm lifestyle. That's where they go with it. And how do you break into that? Well, there's truth. We need God and we need each other. You're not self-sufficient. You need the body of Christ. 
You need to serve and you need to receive in the body of Christ. With God, you need to receive every day. You're not self-sufficient. You're not God. And they're sitting around in Laodicea feeling like, oh, this is it. We're living the Laodicean dream. We've got so much money. We've got so much abundance. And they twist it theologically to say, see how wealthy we are. That just shows that God's blessing is on us. The money shows that God's favor is on us. God's approval is on us. Because we have all this money, that equates to God's approval and blessing. Well, that's not true. That's not true. They had a false security with their money. They had pride with their money. And Jesus steps in and says, actually, spiritually, you're in a condition of poverty right now. You're not in a condition of abundance. You're in a condition of spiritual poverty with all your money. And then what about the textile business? They love to wear the fancy clothes. Look at what I look like on the outside. I've got black wool. It's the kind of wool everyone wants and not everyone can afford. So take a look at what I'm wearing on the outside. And Jesus says, if we peeled back what's on the outside and we saw the nakedness, we would see the rebellion. We would see the whole story. Look at what's underneath and what's going on. And then they boasted, well, we can heal anyone. Eyes, we can heal eyes. We have the best medical school. We've got eye salve. You just come over to Laodicea and you're going to see some healing going on. And Jesus says, well, the irony is that you're blind spiritually and you don't even see your own condition. But you're boasting about how you're healing all these eyes. But you need to have your eyes open, the eyes of your heart opened to see what's really going on. And while these people are duped and they're ripped off and they're rocked to sleep, Laodicea, oh, that's right, just go to sleep spiritually. Are you comfortable? That's right, you're in control. You create the bubble. Go ahead, Laodicea, rock them right to sleep. Oh, lukewarm and wealthy. Wow, that's it right there. And Jesus steps into that world and says, you're not really growing. You're not really creating the impact that I've designed you. You're not on fire anymore. You're just kind of playing a game right now, religiously. And out of that, uh, Francis Chan, uh, he has this quote right here. Francis Chan speaks truth in love. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They don't. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Spurgeon says it this way, if you turn the clock back and go back some decades, is it not a sad thing that after all of Christ's love to us, we should repay it with lukewarm love to him? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in Scripture it says, do not quench the Spirit, and another meaning there is do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. You're going to be lukewarm. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. A lukewarm lifestyle, I'm just trying to make it clear that a lukewarm lifestyle right now is seen as good, acceptable, socially approved. If you want to fit in in this culture, your best shot is to be a lukewarm Christian. If you want to be liked and approved, your best foot forward is to be a lukewarm Christian and not really change the culture. Just go ahead, enjoy the blessings God's provided, and don't really seek Him. Don't really live for Him. And that's what was happening in Laodicea. When I think of lukewarm, I think of Ananias and Sapphira showing up, looking spiritual, talking spiritual, and lying to the church. I think of the prodigal son 
who went away and sinned, repented, came back, and the brother who was envious, jealous, full of himself, and lukewarm. I think of Lot's wife looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah like, yeah, my heart's still there. I think of the Israelites after being delivered from slavery, going to the promised land, are telling Moses, we don't want to go forward in faith. That looks challenging. Let's go back to Egypt. Lukewarm faith. You, you see it throughout the Bible. Mishal married to David. What's David doing? He's getting way too excited about worshiping God. He is dancing and singing, and none of that looks religiously approved. Mishal and David, who's lukewarm? The woman who pours out the tears at Jesus' feet, and the disciples are going to criticize, right? She, she's, when, with her tears, she's wiping the feet of Jesus, pour out the alabaster jar. What's going to happen? She's worshiping with the alabaster jar, and what's happening? Lukewarm criticism. Lukewarm will always criticize passion. It will always criticize passion. It doesn't know what to do with authentic passion. It will criticize it and say that's really not good. It's really too much. It's really too radical. And you know all that really matters is what does God say? What does God say about Mishal and David? What does God say about the woman who pours out her alabaster jar? It's not what the people say. It's not what the people say in church. God is never upset about someone who will come to him contrite and passionate and go for it in worship. We have so flipped this thing that we just say, oh, you know what? Prayer, read the Bible, worship. I'm not really into that. But scroll on social media, Watch YouTube videos. Get the remote control for hours. I'm not lukewarm. I'm not lukewarm. Uh, loose morals, just normal in the church. Double lives, normal in the church. Secret sins, just normal in the church. Lazy hands that don't want to build up the church. It's just normal to have 10% of a church serving and building up the body. Quiet tongues instead of declaring your story and leading people to Jesus. It's just normal. Lukewarm lifestyle is so normal in America. It's so normal. We bought it. We've been duped. It's so normal. And it won't change until you listen to Jesus and I listen to Jesus and say, come in and change something in the way I'm following you. It won't change until that day. It, it won't change if your life group leader comes alongside of you and prays about it and is kind of scared to confront you and then doesn't really fully but kind of says, keep living for the Lord. It, it's not going to change if someone just drops a little hint or even if someone confronts you and holds you accountable. It's not going to change until your heart changes. So let's get rid of the excuses. Well, I can't be on fire because of COVID. Well, I can't be on fire because I have health challenge right now. Well, I can't be on fire for the Lord because it's America and the church in America. Well, I can't be on fire for the Lord because the songs on the weekend aren't my all-time favorite. Well, I can't be on fire for the Lord because you, you know all the excuses, right? We know all the excuses. We make them all the time. But really, there's no excuses. God's calling us to something better. He's calling us to life. He's calling us to hope. He's calling us to joy. You say, well, how do I break out of a lukewarm lifestyle? Well, that's the second point here. Let's continue to listen to Jesus because he's going to guide us, shepherd us, correct us, train us. And when we go into verse 18, Jesus, talking to the church in Laodicea, says, I counsel you. That's an important phrase. I counsel you. 
to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I want to say that again. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Love leads to rebuking and disciplining. They are together, not mutually exclusive. Rebuke and discipline are coming from the love of Jesus. So he says, be honest, be earnest, be sincere, and repent, and repent. Do it sincerely. When Jesus says, I counsel you, uh, here's a resource for us. We can go right to Jesus. Have you ever gone to five people and not gone to Jesus? Have you ever gone to five people, the same five people for the same five months, and you still really haven't gone to Jesus? Uh, Go to Jesus. Go to his word. Go to his word. Spend time in the Word. Just listen to the Word. Let the Word wash over you. And then wise people. God will bring wise people in your life. Sometimes it could be pastor, life group leader. It could be a counselor. There's no shame in seeing a counselor. Some people, they don't see counselors, Christian counselors, because they feel like, well, now I'm not spiritual at all because I see a counselor. There's no shame in seeing a counselor. God wants to counsel you personally, directly, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through other people. He wants to build you up. He said there's real gold and there's false gold. And notice that there's a fire that tests. Jesus is talking about being refined in the fire. This is a group of people who are constantly buying. Can you imagine if Amazon existed for the church in Laodicea? Now, Amazon's not a sin. It's not a sin to order something. But you know what their mentality is? Well, just go buy it. If I buy that, if I buy this clothes, and I buy this house, and I buy, and it has that view, and then I buy these cars, and I buy this, what could I buy to solve the void in my soul? (laughs) Like, what's the latest and greatest so I can buy it and then feel whole? And Jesus is saying there's nothing out there created that you're going to buy that's going to bring health to your soul. So so come to me and receive. You're going to like the prices. The forgiveness of sin and the eternal life, you're going to like the prices because they've been paid for. It's not going to come out of your pocketbook for the forgiveness of sins, but by grace through a pardon from Jesus, it's one to receive. It's one to receive. And so there's real gold and there's fool's gold. And they've been fooled because they think what makes life is materialistic things. And what Jesus is saying is the total opposite. What really makes the quality of life is the condition of your soul and the spiritual richness that Jesus wants to bring. Now, we've been in the book of Revelation. Uh, We're going through what Jesus said. And there's a couple weeks left. We're going to look at the end of the book of Revelation where Jesus continues to bring messages. But we've been using these seven churches as kind of a springboard. And there's something that I feel responsible in terms of being faithful to share with you so that you know that you know that you know what God says. And regarding judgment, okay, here's a great promise. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you put your trust in Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. And you have this security because of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection and because of what Jesus said. He promised it. He keeps it. So you can uh, thank God for that. In the book of Revelation, chapter, and it's chapter 20, verses 11 through 13, there is a throne and people are coming before God. And the question is, is your name written in the book of life? Are you born again? And some are, and some aren't. 
And I got to tell you, there's a day that we come before God. You're an eternal being. When you die, it's not the end of your story. You're going to come before God, and your faith will either be in Jesus and your sins on Jesus, or your sins are still on you, and you make the decision. But that day will come, that judgment will come, and some will spend eternity with God, and some will be separated from God for eternity. And I don't know a bigger truth, and I still can't wrap my mind around it all. I don't understand every detail of it. I trust God. But what a massive piece, and this is how it affects my life. I got a knock on the door yesterday from a neighbor. Didn't say they were coming over, but knocked on the door, and I've been sharing Jesus for years with this neighbor, and this neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus just started sharing about their problems and sharing about more about problems and more problems and more problems and more problems and more problems. And it's important to listen, right? So I spend about a half an hour listening and then sharing some different things. I just want to be helpful. I want to care. And then sharing Jesus with this neighbor. This neighbor didn't receive Jesus. Didn't receive Jesus yesterday. I'd I'd love that to be my blessed story. It's not my blessed story. This neighbor knows, though, that they are loved by Jesus. And when they really want peace, the Prince of Peace is here. And when they really want in their heart contentment, it's not going to be buying a second house or moving to just the right neighborhood. The contentment's going to come from having peace with God. That's where the contentment's going to come. So rather than just playing along with the game of, yeah, all you need to do is just store some of your stuff, find another big house, and then say this, set this boundary. I want to give some of that, but ultimately... I just keep sharing Jesus with my neighbor. And the kids are there too, and I trust God with the results. But I know, I know the end of the book of Revelation. I know the reality that we're all coming before God. And I've got to give everyone every opportunity. Every opportunity. Well, you say, is there a second, different type of judgment for believers? There is. And we read about this in 1 Corinthians 3. The judgment for believers, the accountability, is not about getting into heaven or not, but it is related to our lives right now. There are going to be different rewards and roles in heaven, and they're linked to your faithfulness right now. And as your pastor, I just share them in love. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 15 talking about their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you can read about it in that chapter, I'll just read verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And what I'm saying to you is what you do in life really matters. And that uh, you can invest your life in God's kingdom, or you can live your life as a follower of Jesus for yourself. And there's a big difference. And I encourage you today to go deep and think about what you're really committed to and passionate about because that's what Jesus is doing in the church of Laodicea. And I'm trying to stay in alignment with the tone of this text. Now, Jesus doesn't commend the church, but with love, he brings accountability and truth. Uh, There are many in this room just loving God. And this isn't a comparison thing. I'm not saying that Grace Community Church is like the church in Laodicea. I'm not saying that. There is so much vibrant love for Jesus in this church. So please don't walk out with unnecessary guilt, shame, and any of that. But what we do take to heart is what is similar in Laodicea, in America, in my life. 
And I'll tell you what stands out to me as you look through the book of Revelation. In chapters 6 through 18, there are the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And we covered it last week. There's these seven years and this this great tribulation time. And what you read is eye-opening. And yet in the middle of that, God raises up a remnant. It is 144,000, and this is in Revelation chapter 7. And I also want to point out, here's where this scripture gets twisted falsely. I'll just say it as clear as I can. Jehovah's Witness will come to my door and tell me there's 144,000 in heaven and i got to be one of them. If anyone comes to your door, whatever badger, whatever you know, thing they claim, whatever they claim, if they tell you the Bible says there's only 144,000 in heaven and you got to join their group to be in there, you just know that's junk. That's not coming from God, okay? I'm trying to be as clear as I can about that. But what are the 144,000? I don't know everything. It looks like they're Jewish. They are sealed, they are serving God, and they are courageous. And what it reminds me is that in every generation, there is a remnant that rises up. There's a remnant that rises up. In Auburn, there's a remnant that rises up. And people who are committed to Jesus, they will find other people who are committed to Jesus. And people who are courageous are going to find other people who are courageous. And embers that are on fire and spread out will come together. There will always be a remnant, be part of that remnant that won't compromise with the culture, won't be duped by a lukewarm lifestyle, be part of that remnant. You know, there's a lot of things said in church. When I was at a a church that was all African-American in Dallas for four years, and and at that point I was the only white person there, I I learned more two-way conversation with the preacher. I learned when to stand up, when you say amen, when you say preach, preacher, and and it was a It was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful experience. And there's a lot of things that you can say as you're walking with God together. There's one thing that's been said in our church, and I've heard this echo several times, and it's when we start to really praise God together. And it'll be an echo in this building, and someone will say, come on, church. So just say it from a sincere heart, like, come on, church. Come on, church, let's praise God. Come on, church, let's rise up right now. Come on, church, let's not be lukewarm. Come on, church, this is our time. Come on, church, be all you can be that God's designed you to be. Come on, church. And and I think that's the message that Jesus is saying to Laodicea is step out of the lukewarm and come on, church. You're called to so much more. There's so much potential. Come on, church, this is your time. This is your time. And it leads to, well, then how do you cultivate the fire? And Jesus says it this way. In verse 20, he says, here I am. There's the solution. Here I am. Jesus is still here. He still is the I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. Here I am. So where's Jesus? What's he doing? I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is knocking at the doors of our hearts. You know how he knocks? Patiently and persistently. Have you ever noticed that Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart for years? He's been knocking for years. You ever appreciate how patient Jesus is? 
I mean, did, did you just go all in day one following him? Or are we all learning and growing? Are we all repenting? Are we all sinning every day and learning how to invite more of Jesus into our life, right? And so Jesus still knocking on the door. Now, some people, they don't even want to hear Jesus in his voice by the door. They're not even going to go over to the door. Some people hear his voice, they're going over the door, and they're just thinking, do I want to open it? Do I not want to open it? I don't know. I really like it being all about me. It's a tough decision. I really like being in control. I really like having my face super contained and super comfortable. This is really a big decision whether I want to open this door or not. I mean, I really like how I like things. Am I going to open the door? And, and others will open the door and say, come in, Jesus. Come in and take over, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. You know, when I first came to know the Lord, I'm so grateful that I was in a culture of some Christians, because I didn't know any Christians growing up, some Christians that were really living out their faith. And so my first experience, the first three years of following Jesus, was when it comes to church, like, yes, let's go to church. And when church service ends, it's like, Man, I wanted more. Like, should we stay for second service? Should we, could we come back? Is there another service tonight? Like, there was just a, a passion to grow in our faith. In the Word, it was like, yeah, I'm in the Word every day. Like, a couple chapters I'm talking about. What did you study? Well, this is what I studied. Well, what did you learn? Well, this is what I heard. Well, how did you apply it to your life? Like, that's how we just lived. In prayer, when it's prayer time, you don't have to convince everyone. You don't have to say, all right, everyone, I really want you to come down to prayer. It was like, what, we're praying together? Let's pray. Prayer's powerful. Like, let's go. Let's pray out loud. Let's Let's, let's go for this thing. You didn't have to convince me. Giving, well, that's just a, a tithe means 10% off the top. Okay, God, that's small. Thank you. Give me everything. 10% off the top. That's a no-brainer. Purity, well, then I need accountability. I need blockers. I need some stuff in my life. I, I got to be transparent. I can't do this double lifestyle. Like, that was just the culture. The culture was you share the gospel. You pray that you're going to lead people to Jesus. Then you just start sharing the gospel with people in a humble, loving way. You listen to them. You care for them. And then you share and you lead them to Jesus. Like, that's just what you do. That's Bible. That's Jesus. Serving. You've got gifts, incredible gifts. You just show up and say, well, where, where can I do to use these gifts for the Lord to build up his people and his church? friendships i got to find other people on fire because i know a bunch of people are going to take me the wrong direction filling of the holy spirit yes i want a spirit-filled life i can't do the christian life alone and that was just normal that was just basics that was just starting point like that and so sometimes we've got to pause and go wait a second how come how comes i've been following the lord for 20 years and i'm not even the basics aren't even really going on in my life. Like, what? Where did I buy in to lukewarm? Because this is normal for Jesus and the church. And somewhere in there, there became a gap. And I just say it's time to say we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Holy Spirit. Come into the darkness, the deception, the double lives, the games, the outside looking great, the inside not so much. Come in, come in. You know, something happened to me, I'll close with this, this week that was kind of exciting. We need a little uplifter on the Church of Laodicea, right? End with something uplifting. Um, this week, it's been six months, uh, rupturing, fully rupturing my Achilles tendon is no joke. And it was just last night, I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because for six months, I haven't been able to do this. And this week, I'm just celebrating and thanking God, not taking it for granted, right? When you haven't had anything. And I can run. 
I can run again after six months. And uh, it feels so good to have some breeze moving across my face to like, I, I can just, you know, I'm, I'm not fast, but, but I, I can do this. And the physical therapist approved, doctors approved, don't get nervous, but I, I, I can do that again. And I'll tell you, maybe for you, it's been a while since you've really run for Jesus. Maybe you've been running for sin, running for hobbies, running for money. You've been running for a lot of things. But are you really running for Jesus? My Bible tells me, run the good race. Run the good race. And you know what makes it better? Is when we run it together. We run it together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you how you lift up our heads from guilt and shame. And with grace and forgiveness, God, thank you that you open up our eyes so that we can see what's going on in this world and we can see the truth of a lukewarm lifestyle. God, thank you that you give us power to break out of traps and being duped and compromising. Thank you that you bring life, Jesus, as you say, come to me, here I am, I stand at the door, I stand at the door, I'm knocking on the door of your heart today, I'm knocking on the door of your heart today, open up the door, welcome me in. Jesus, I pray in this place right now there'd be people for the first time that would say yes to you as Lord and Savior. Right now as Lord and Savior to follow you, forgiveness of sins and eternal life, a new relationship, not religion. Lord, bless the people making that decision today. God, bless those deciding today with a hunger for you, Jesus, a hunger to glorify you, Jesus, that kind of hunger. Thank you, Jesus, for how you're moving in our hearts today. We welcome you with praise. We speak your name. We trust you. We celebrate you. We repent of being lukewarm. We fully repent of being lukewarm. We want to repent and return to you today. And thank you for the life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.